You are listening to the Photobomb podcast with the world's greatest photographers, Boo Ray and Gary. Welcome to the Photobomb podcast. My name is Boo Ray Perry, and joining me as always is Gary Hughes. Hello. Are you one of the many, many people who became a mini-millionaire this week? No, I did not. Uh, I did not become a mini-millionaire. I did not invest in GameStop. No. No, no, no. Did you, did you, did you do any speculating on the stock market this week? No, I don't do that, uh, really. I mean, I bought, you know, I bought Hertz uh, because I had an extra $300 in my account that I didn't realize was there. And I bought Hertz because I, I think Hertz is going to rebound. But um, I don't do that. I buy giant mutual funds and retirement funds and index funds and stuff like that because I, I was a professional gambler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I started doing that, I would be 24-7 obsessed with it. Well, let me tell you about my last 48 hours then, because uh, I think you might appreciate this. So I got on the GameStop bandwagon a little bit late. I bought it when it was about $300 a share, which is from a company that was like $2 a share not too long ago, you know. And uh, I got out. It went up to like five and and then down. And I, I sold at four. I made a few hundred bucks. I just threw I bought like two shares of it just to just to play around. But yeah, it's madness. The whole situation is madness. But where I ended up was there's a cryptocurrency called Dogecoin. And Dogecoin is like these two guys, these two programmers made up this cryptocurrency as kind of a joke. Doge is like an old internet meme with like a Shiba Inu dog. And the, the word comes from a, an old web cartoon called Homestar Runner. And it's just a big joke. And it, it was trading at 0.008 uh, uh, uh So basically it was like eighth, an eighth of a penny you know so smaller not even, than that i think yeah i mean it was it was it tra- i mean basically i got uh, put no no way, you're I, right yeah that would be that would be an eighth of a penny so i bought in at point zero zero eight and i just threw like 200 bucks at it and i got fifteen thousand units of this thing for for, for right. my money and i i did good i got out it, it peaked at seven at about 80 cents or eight cents so it peaked at eight cents so it went from like one eighth of one cent to 80 cents so i threw in about 200 bucks so far i've made about 1200 dollars in about a day just spending a couple hundred bucks on this stock it it, for example with the money i put in if it hit a dollar i would have like 15 grand right and if it hit so so i mean it it was kind of fun but i gotta tell you the thing about watching cryptocurrency is Good God Almighty, that was the most stressful thousand bucks I've ever made in my life because <laughs> I was just checking it every 10 seconds because it goes up 20%, down 30%. But what I've realized, because I, I've, I've discovered this thing that nobody knows about, this app called Robinhood. I don't know if anybody's heard of it because it's really low-key and nobody knows about it. So what I'm thinking about doing is now changing my job title. I'm officially a day trader. I'm an official, like I'm leaving the world of photography. Photography is now my side hustle. And I wanted to know if you were interested in getting in on the ground floor of this with me and this new financial endeavor. All right. Well, Gary, let me tell you a little something about an episode in our fine American history known as the Great Depression. Uh, you mean that's, that's what's called my weekend? Yes. The Great Depression uh, famously happened when the stock market had reached the point where everyone was playing the stock market. 
and they were over leveraged and stock was being inflated. And that was what was going on right before the Great Depression. It was somebody like, uh, like you know, Kennedy or Vanderbilt or uh, Carnegie or one of those guys said that he started getting out of the stock market when his doorman started talking to him about stock tips. He realized that there was a problem in the stock market. And everything that's happened, I mean, listen, I'm all for the venture, the VC funds. People who short stocks, they deserve a little something. Yeah, they got their butts handed to them this week. I'm all, yeah, oh boy, did they. Uh, and I'm all for that. But at the same time, it scares me that everyone is starting to play the stock market like it's a game. Instead of playing it the way it should be played, which is to say, I think this is a good company that's going to work over time. And so I want to invest in it. You know, um, that it just scares me a little bit. It really does. Uh, I, w what's going to happen? I, I'm afraid there's going to be a bad thing happen with a major stock and it's going to crush the portfolios and retirement accounts of hundreds of thousands of people. So you're saying there's a chance. I'm you're saying in, there's a chance. Saying. There's you're a chance in. I'm going to be in investing <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. That's good to know. All right. I'm hip with that. Did we explain, by the way, should we explain what happened to GameStop? I think a lot of people don't understand what happened. Okay. All right. I'll I'll tell you what, since you clearly know more about this, okay. I'm going to explain it and you're going to tell me how wrong I am. Okay. You'll probably have it right. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, certain people who, who dabble and uh, pirate, uh, have pirate-like behavior in Wall Street, this has been going on for as long as there's been Wall Street, is that they will short stocks. They will bet that a stock is going to fail through certain transactions and which causes that company to, you know, lose money. But they, in a sense, they borrow against it, betting that it's going to fail. Now, if that stock goes up, they owe the money. They owe the difference. And if that yeah. stock goes down, they make a ton. And yeah. so a, a bunch of these privateers, these scallywags, these ne'er-do-wells, these scoundrels, if you will, they were betting against this. Not unlike Blockbuster-style video game store called GameStop, it's been around a very long time. And considering that most video games, you can download them uh, and right. you don't need to go into a store to buy a game, like, why would you? Although, to be fair, as large as some of the games are for your PS5 and your, your new Xboxes and stuff, it would be faster to go to the store and buy the physical copy than it would be <laughs> to download it. That that being said, they decided they've been picking on GameStop for a while, and it's been slowly going down, and they've been making a lot of money shorting it. And so uh, a bunch of investors on Reddit, on this subreddit called uh, Wall Street Bets, they got together and they said, we're going to stick it to these guys, and we are going to collectively run this stock up and make them lose money. So they all get together, they all start buying GameStop, and it goes from like, $5 a share to $500 a share in about 48 hours. Right. And so it cost these firms that had borrowed against it, planning for it to fail. Yeah, it's a short-term deal. Yeah. The borrowing is. Basically, you, you say to your stockbroker, I want to borrow a million shares of GameStop, and I'll give them back to you in a week. And so right. you borrow a million shares of GameStop, and then you sell them immediately, and you take the money. And then a week later... You buy those million shares back off the market at a lower price than you sold them for, and you give them back to your broker, and you keep the difference. Right. And the trick is when the VC company, a major VC company, comes out and says, "Venture, we're capital shorting, is what you're yeah, about. venture capital. We're gonna, you know, we're a major company. We make lots of money. People listen to them, and they go, you know what? We're gonna short GameStop. They're selling the whole world. GameStop is a bad stock, and people start to sell GameStop because this company is shorting it, which makes it go down, which makes money for the company." 
So it's kind of a, you know, it's a bit of a scam by saying, by announcing, I think this stock is going to go down. It is going to go down, which means I make money when it goes down. Uh, and when they ran the price up and these margin, they're called margin calls. When they came, when they came due, <laughs> well, it's, hey, we want our million shares of stock that you uh, borrowed a week ago. And they had to go out and buy that stock at $500 a share when they had paid $5 a share for it. Right. <laughs> yeah. When, yes. or, so it was horrible. Like, like one company, like one VC capitalist company lost $15 billion. Yeah, that's, that's, hold on. Now, again, I'm not a great businessman, but that sounds like a lot of money. It is. It can be. It can be a lot of a lot of money. But you know, it's a gamble. You're gambling. The, I mean, it's not the same as you're, you're gambling when you buy a stock and hope it goes up. That's a gamble. The most you can lose is the money you've already spent for the stock. It's not the same as gambling the way they do it, which is to go to a mob boss and say, "Can I please borrow a million dollars from you because I want to go shoot craps this weekend and I'll give it back to you on Monday." <laughs> That's the kind of gambling they do when they short stocks. They're gambling with money they don't have. And right. boy did they get burned. Oh, yes. Yeah. So how do you feel about this? This sort of behavior on both sides is supposed to be kind of it's supposed to be illegal. Running up a stock just for the point of running up a stock is illegal. You can't do that. It's collusion. You can't do it. You know, because it used to happen way back in the days in the Great Depression times, uh, big, you know, major rich guys would get together and say, let's all buy. You ever see the movie Wall Street? Yes. Okay. They do it in Wall Street. Remember, he calls up uh, Charlie Sheen and he, and he says, uh, you know, call these numbers and tell them that Blue Horseshoe loves trans airlines. And he calls all these other brokers and says, Blue Horseshoe loves trans airlines. And that's the key to put all of their clients into, into trans airlines. Trans airline goes up. And then the guy behind Blue Horseshoe sells his stocks at a profit. And it's illegal. You can't do that. So in a way, that's what Reddit did. All these people got together and said, let's just run this stock up, not because it's a good company or whatever, but because we want to just make, you know, we want to make a profit. We want to screw these guys, but also we want to make a profit off of it. And you can't do that. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Because once you start doing that, then, oh, my God, the volatility in the market will be crazy. Well, let me, uh, th and here's what happened with Robinhood, for example, because Robinhood is, uh, this is a letter from Acting Attorney General Monty Wilkinson from the U.S. Department of Justice. So this is a letter he put out this morning. This is where it gets really interesting because Robinhood could be in some trouble. So here we go. Hey, and welcome to the Photobomb Financial <laughs> Podcast, by the way. This is a major story. Yes, this is a major story. He says, I am greatly troubled with the events that have unfolded on Wall Street and demand action from the U.S. Department of Justice. Today, FINRA-regulated broker-dealer called Robinhood Markets Incorporated halted the purchase of stocks for several publicly traded companies, including GameStop, BlackBerry, AMC, and others. This unilateral move was done so in a concerted effort to deplatform and silence individual investors. This began when an investment management fund called Melvin Capital Management placed an aggressive short sell on the company GameStop. To contradict this decision, the heavily followed Reddit page, Wall Street Bets, and their, admin and their administrators advocated that their followers purchase GameStop stock using the broker Robinhood. The movement was so immense that it drove the stock price to over 400% of its previous value. As a result, Melvin Capital lost billions on their return and Robinhood blocked users from buying any more of GameStop stock, but still allowed liquidation. Melvin Capital is owned by the parent company Citadel LLC, which according to Bloomberg report, gave Robinhood roughly 40% of their revenue. 
Knowing the involvement Citadel has with Robin Hood, it is clear that the actions taken today were motivated by anti-competitive reasons, not for concerns of volatility claimed by Robin Hood. Because this is a blatant conflict of interest and obvious monopolistic, that's a good word, activity, I am calling on an immediate investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice into Robin Hood and the hedge fund of Citadel, LLC. I agree 100%. It, it doesn't look good at all that Robin Hood decided you couldn't buy the stock anymore. By the way, one of our major investors is somebody who's losing their shirt because y'all are buying the stock. That's bull and shouldn't be yes. stopped. But here, at the same time, the whole thing is very, very scary. That's not what... You're buying stock. You're buying, you're buying a piece of a company. And you're, it's not supposed to be this much of a playground. It's not supposed to be about day trading. It's not supposed to be, you know, if, if, I'd be perfectly fine if they came out and said that if you buy any stock, you can't sell it for six months. Period. Hmm. Because you're supposed to be buying a piece of a company. You're becoming an owner of a company. You know, it's not roulette. It's not a game. You should be buying, you know, what was it? Warren Buffett, who famously said, you should never buy any stock you're not prepared to hold for 20 years. Because that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're buying companies that you think are going to grow and be good companies for years and years and years. You're becoming an owner. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You're not supposed to be betting. And here's, and here's the thing. It was a good bet to bet against GameStop. Yeah. They were, it's, not, it's not like they, were, they picked some company at random and said, we're going to short them just so we can try and drive the price down. Come on. Does anybody think GameStop is going to survive? Of course they're not going to survive. You download your video games now. There's no reason to go to GameStop anymore. So yeah, of course, of course they're gonna die. You're a gamer. When was the last time you went to a GameStop? I don't ever go to a GameStop. Okay, but still, I don't like the idea of it. I think I know where there is a GameStop. I think there's one up by. I think there's one right next to the Pizza Hut. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) there's one. uh, There's one that adjoins a uh, a Blockbuster Video. Yes, it's between Blockbuster and Pizza Hut. But uh, yeah, so it's, you know, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, stick it to the man, sure. But there's another part of me that's like, Great Depression. When people start playing the stock market like crazy and just day trade and going crazy, it's just, it's the volatility of it is just kind of scary. And it also mm. discourages people from getting into business and going public because, you know, a bunch of people on Reddit can just destroy your, co- they could have just as easily destroyed GameStop. Yes. They could have just as easily said, oh, everybody buy GameStop short, and that's, that's it. The company would be out of business in days. Their stock would be at, at pennies. Well, that's where the, uh, the SEC has to step in, and that's when something like that, they will halt trading. But that's not, that's not what this was. That's not the thing with, with uh, Robinhood? No. No. Robinhood, Robinhood was wrong to stop the trading. Unless they can show that somehow it was a situation where they, were, they couldn't afford it. Because, you know, here's the thing about brokerages. They have to put money on deposit with a lot of places in order to execute the orders that people call in, right? So there's a lot that goes, that goes on. So I saw an interview with the guy from Robinhood, and he was saying that that's why they did it. But he didn't do a very good job of really explaining. Okay. You know, I would have I been prepared with the details. I would have been like, here's the deal. We had to come up with $15 billion to give to the New York Stock Exchange to cover positions on GameStop, or we had to stop letting our people trade it. And we didn't have the $15 billion, so we stopped. If he had said that, I'd been like, okay, but he was very vague about it. You know? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, well, what's going to happen now is the federal government, which, whatever you think of the government, is full of some of the brightest legal minds in the world. And they are probably going to tear them a new beehole. Wait, so- here's the other thing, is, is how, much of, how much of GameStop's stock is owned by GameStop? I and, was thinking that maybe that there was... how much did they dump when it was at 500 and, yeah. and now GameStop may end up, you know, making a huge profit off of this and walking away. Here's what I was thinking. You know how I want you to imagine a particular person. This is a guy. Maybe he's in his mid 40s. 
a bit of an underachiever, and he started working at GameStop back in high school. And then, you know, he became an assistant manager, then he became a store manager, and because GameStop is a company where they don't pay a whole lot, he's a salaried manager. And every Christmas, GameStop says, hey, instead of money, we're going to give you some company stock yeah. as your bonus. <laughs> yeah. And so you got this guy has been getting 100 shares of GameStop stock every Christmas for right. 15 years, and he's never so much as looked at it. And all of a sudden, this guy is a millionaire. Well, he's not a millionaire. He's got, a, he's got 1,400 shares at $500 a share. And here's the thing. People say, well, how, you know, they go on Reddit and they say, go buy the stock. How is that any different when, than, you know, Mad Money with Jim Cramer when he says to go buy a stock? And the difference is when Jim Cramer says, go buy this stock, he says, buy stock in this company. They make public toilets and they're about to land a contract to build three new stadiums. So yes. buy stock in this company. What Reddit did was they said, here's a company that's not worth anything. Buy stock in this company expressly so we can drive it up hurt somebody, and then sell it for a profit. That's illegal. Yeah, I, I wonder who they would hold accountable for that. Incidentally, our fictional GameStop manager actually has $700,000. 1,400 shares at $500 a share? At $500 a share is $700,000. You're bad at math. 700000 Woo, much closer to the million. I just want you to know, you were today years old when you found out you were bad at math. Yeah. And how much was Game? How much was GameStop when they started the run? Was it five dollars a share or something? How much? Was it, it? it was very low. It was. It was. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it wasn't a lot. I would say if it was twenty five dollars a share, I'd be surprised. So anyway, it's 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 very interesting, uh, and it definitely shows the power of social media now and the ability of that one one or two people can suddenly reach and touch ten thousand. There are going to be many many hearings about what happened this week. And a lot of our tax dollars are going to be spent paying our elected officials to sort out what a bunch of ding-dongs on Reddit decided to do. Incidentally, I at least got my piece, but now you've made me feel bad for gambling on the stock market. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to take the money. I'm going to donate it to my charity. There you go. I, I, don't, I don't feel bad. I mean, here's a, I don't feel bad about people who I don't No, I don't blame anybody who rode the wave. What I blame are the people who start. Right. You know, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to manipulate companies like that. You know, in this case, it turns out good for GameStop, but it could have easily gone the other way. But at the same time, I feel just as bad for GameStop when this ma massive VC firm came out and said, we're shorting GameStop. GameStop was like, what? You announced you're <laughs> shorting us. It's going to it's going to drive our stock even lower. You know, so that's wrong, too. This is so we're clear. Both sides are wrong. That's a bit like walking over to the unpopular kids table in the cafeteria and sticking your finger in somebody's lunch. It's like, they're already at the unpopular table. What are you doing? Like, why? Come on, man. Take it easy. Yeah. I just, it, the whole thing is, I mean, and hey, they learned a little lesson <laughs> that, that yeah. you want to go shorten stocks like that. That's great. But if the uh, mob decides to take you out, you're going to get hurt bad. So maybe you shouldn't be shorting them. We just saw a financial version of cancel culture happen. That was, uh, yeah. So watch out. So uh, anyway, what else is going on uh, with you this week? Anything interesting? We got some. Uh, we got some frogs in the mail today. Uh huh. My wife has these frogs. Here's the thing about my wife. Um, you. She says, "Hey, I want this thing," and you go, "That thing's a bad idea." And here's why. And she goes, "Oh yeah, you're right. That is a bad idea." And then she does and a anyway. week later, she gets the thing. <laughs> because once she's decided she wants something, she can't get it out of her head. I, I'm, I'm more like that than I am like you, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I want a cat. A cat's a bad idea, and here's why. Okay, and next thing you know, we have a cat. And it was dog. Well, you know, the dog and the cat aren't getting along. going to get along if you get the dog. 
And then we have a dog. And the dog's chasing the cat, and she's yelling at the dog. And I'm like, this, you knew this was going to happen. So then she wanted these frogs, these baby tree frogs that you get, and they go in a little aquarium on your desk, and you can look over, and the frogs are swimming around, and I don't know, she wanted them. So she got them for Christmas. And I'm like, okay, we have a cat, but okay. Well, of course, the frogs ended up on the floor. One of the frogs gone forever, we suppose, eaten by the cat. And, you know, it was just a massive, you know, and I, a huge thing. And I got to get up in the middle of dinner and go buy distilled water for a new habitat for the frogs. Which, by the way, these are frogs from the Amazon rainforest. They live in a mud puddle. And yet you got to have <laughs> distilled water to keep them, <laughs> to keep them alive. Really? Like, I, I, got a, I got a water filtration system and a softener on my house water. I'm pretty sure the frog can live in that water. But no, I'm driving to Publix in the middle of dinner to buy distilled water. Oh, my God. There, that would be the end of the frogs for sure. me. The first, time, the first time it inconvenienced yeah. me. Like, I get done working for the day, and Julie was like, hey, honey, the frogs, the frogs need some distilled water. I'd be like, they're fine. <laughs> i tell you what I'll do. I'll go out to the, to the driveway, and you know that pothole we got in the driveway? I'm going to scoop some of the dirt out of there, add some tap water, and there's your frog habitat. Well, it says in the paperwork, you don't want to upset the delicate uh, ecosphere of the frogs. So, again, have you seen where they live in their delicate ecosphere? If you were that frog, would you rather live in dirty water or be eaten by a cat? There you go. There you go. Dirty water where there's no cat or clean <laughs> distilled water where there's a cat literally looking at you every day going, it's just a matter of time for you, pal. One of these days, they're going to leave me in the office and forget I'm here. And that's when the whole thing goes on the floor and I'm having lunch, which is exactly yes. what happened. So she decides she's got to get a new aquarium because it's broken and it's just a small little aquarium and she's got and some frogs. So she orders the aquarium, comes with the frogs. And I'm like, are they shipped dr freeze dried or whatever? No, they're shipped in a bag of water in the little aquarium and they're shipped. And, <laughs> and the shipment is coming. She goes, I ordered them. She goes, but they're coming tomorrow because you have to be home when they deliver the box with the frogs. They won't just drop off the box with the frogs. And I thought, okay, so follow the logic here. It's too dangerous to leave the box sitting on your porch with the frogs in it. Mm -hmm. But perfectly okay to ship those frogs in that box in trucks and airplanes and everything else over the course of, I don't know, three or four days for it to get to you. I'm not sure. I don't understand why the lat, like the afternoon sitting in the box on your porch is dangerous for the frogs, but literally boxing and shipping an animal is just fine. No, that seems, seems illogical at best. <laughs> I'm like, what's going to happen on the porch that's worse than being in the FedEx truck for six hours? I can't think of a thing that would be worse than being stuck in a FedEx yeah. truck for six hours. So I just found that to be very, I was like, oh, God forbid that the dog be, that the frog be in any danger when he's sitting <laughs> When it's sitting on my porch. Much like your own children, Boure, the most dangerous person to those frogs is you. There's no question. I also had a nice moment happen uh, this week with a client who asked me to shoot four groups of her family together and then put them onto four different canvases. And she wants it to all look like they were standing next to each other. And they kind of were. Uh, but unfortunately, in this picture where she wanted me to do it, there was also some railroad tracks and a road. So there's sets of horizontal lines running through all four pictures oh boy so now you gotta figure out how to line these pictures up on the canvas so the lines don't break right much much harder than if you just shot all four of them in front of a forest yes so i'm trying to get this together and the road in the background not quite lining up and so she comes back to me and, and this is when that one that you feel like a superstar she comes back to me and she goes yeah she goes the road on these isn't quite lining up could you maybe put a tree there to kind of block the road a little bit so it won't be so noticeable. 
And I came back and I said, how about if I just move the road? Because I am a Photoshop guy. Well, hello there. How about if I just move the road? Did you say it like that? <laughs> well, it was an email, but in my head, that's how I was saying it. Oh, okay. And so, so that's what I did. I just went in and used a little, you know, cloning and a little uh, liquify. And I moved the road down about two inches. And, uh, and, I, and oh, my God, that's amazing, blah, blah, blah. But just, just for a moment, though, it was very godlike. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy power that you can, you know, just do whatever you want. Yes. You don't like that road there? I'll just get rid of it. Or I'll just move it. Would you like to curve? I can make it curve. Yeah. Ooh. I can do whatever I want with that road. For I am God Bure, <laughs> king of Photoshop. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. I drink from the keg of glory. <laughs> Hang on. Please don't interrupt Bure while he's drinking from the keg of glory. Like, just, he's, he's drinking from the keg of glory. You just need to give him a minute. Nachos for all of my men. Yes. And beer for the horses. Yes. So he was very cool. He was very yeah, cool. right on. So uh, uh, it's official. We are moving studios. Oh, yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. We got our lease on the new place. And all of this is going to be made possible because this is what I really wanted to talk about. Because I'm sure there will be plenty more hijinks in the next couple of months as we transition moving studios. But uh, we got our, uh, our, our second draw at the Paycheck Protection Program. But in for it. You already got yours? You got approved? We got it the next day. What? What? Yeah. I haven't got mine yet. We've been Bank of America customers for, you know, 15 right. years. And we use them for our business accounts. And they only are processing these for people who have a business account with Bank of America. Because the way that the second draw PPP was, it went out to local community lenders first for a right. few days. And that's they, they're basically they're trying to keep, like, keep big companies from getting millions of dollars and taking all the money away from small businesses who really need it. People who can't just get money from other sources. These big, well-connected companies, even though that many of them are down, you know, they have other avenues to get capital to keep their business going, whereas your average person does not. And so they, they built this whole system. And anyway, so once it got open to the big banks, we went back to Bank of America and they had, man, did they streamline the process compared to the last time? And seriously, the money was in our account within 30, 36 hours. Wow. And uh, yeah, so uh, just encouraging you guys out there. And here's an interesting thing I found out. You're supposed to be able to show a 25% drop in your gross uh, from the same period the previous year or or something, some such thing. However, when we filled out the application, the application said that that only matters if the loan's going to be above $100,000. So if you're thinking that you don't qualify out there, if your uh, loan amount would be less than $100,000, which I don't know any photographer where two and a half months of pay is over $100,000. Gross. Um, you know, gross. Uh, you would... Absolutely. Well, whatever your payroll is, two and a half months of payroll is what the loan's supposed to be. Gross receipts. I think it depends on how you're structured. Because if you pay yourself a paycheck, which we do, we do it's too. two. It's two and a half, two, two, two point five months of your me payroll. and my wife pay ourselves uh, payroll. And on the first draw, it was just two and a half months of payroll, and that's what you get. On the second draw, at least our understanding was, on the second draw, it was gross receipts for a month for a, for a, for a quarter. Your gross receipts for a quarter have to be down. 25%. Because your payroll your payroll is not going to be down 25% if you've been paying your payroll. You're talking about what you have to show. I'm talking about oh, yeah. what the oh, loan I'm sorry. amount yes. will You're end up absolutely being. correct. The loan amount will be based yeah, on yeah. your payroll. So if your loan amount is less than $100,000, you don't have to show that 25% drop. Yeah, because I, we, 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 I submitted all that paperwork. It, didn't, it, just, it had a place to do it. 
didn't ask for it yet, but it was there. So we went ahead and put all that paperwork together and submitted it, but you didn't submit any of that. No, we well, we did the application just on the Bank right. of America website, and and we were and we were done. Like literally the the same day, we got an approval from Bank of America. They nice. were waiting to hear back from the SBA. We got the money, so this is good because we're 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 doing business. Things are okay, but we're definitely down because uh forty percent of our studio is event based, and so because there are no events, right. no corporate events, obviously, then we are we're obviously down. And so although we didn't have to show that, so I'm just if you don't quite think that your business qualifies. Just go ahead and apply and get that money and keep going. Because I really believe the next three or four months, things are really going to start to change for the better, uh, fingers crossed. Um, so do that because I know that a lot of our a lot of our bombardiers out there are struggling. But, yeah, it was easy to apply. And, and it's from what I understand, we're probably going to be looking at some legislation um, coming through over the next six months to a year that any uh, loan amount under a certain amount is just going to be blanket forgiven. Uh, and the application process for those loan forgiveness is going to be really simple. So uh, because of that, we would if we hadn't gotten the loan to shore up our payroll, we would not have been had the responsibly had the amount of money to afford moving to a new studio, which because although the studio isn't that much more expensive than the one we're in, uh, the there's a lot of you have first last security deposit, furniture renovations. There's it's going to cost us about you know, $8,000 to move studio. So we would have basically just re-signed the lease in the studio that we're in. So, and, and we've been able to hire somebody. So we've actually, it's, it's it seems to be working and we're, we're it, you know, it's actually pretty good so far. So that plus all of my profiteering from Dogecoin, yes. I, uh, I will be able to, uh, to keep on going, but the new studio move is coming. I'll have lots of info and YouTube videos I'm going to make because people love those YouTube videos, like what your studio looks like and how you build everything. Like that's, that's the way it's going to go. So there you have it. All right. Well, I hope we get ours sooner. We didn't get ours instantly last time, but we did get it. So hopefully uh, we'll get it this time as well. Yeah. Get get out there and apply, you guys. Get that get that PPP money. Um, you know, if you don't get it, someone else will, I promise you. So you might as well apply and do it. IRS currently holding on to about $10,000 of my money that I would like to get uh, because they held up my, re- my refund from 2019. And so because I had not... F- technically finished my taxes from 2019 when they did the most recently where everybody gets a check. Yes. That one. Yeah. I didn't get that mm. because it was based on your 2019 taxes and tax technically mine aren't done because the IRS is holding up my refund. So I instead get a credit on my 2021 taxes. So I'm like, great. You, you haven't given me my $8,000 that you owe me from 2019. And now you're not giving me the $1,200 or whatever that they send everybody because you haven't given me the money you owe me from 2019. <laughs> 19. So I'm like, ah, so I had to call them and get on the phone with them and like, okay, within 60 days, we'll get back to you. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great because it's been a year since I filed my taxes and, you know. Sounds like the IRS is giving you that GameStop treatment. Yes. (laughs) They're GameStopping me. (laughs) They're GameStopping you, man. All right. It is that time. Time for Photography News. Photography News. All right. uh, There's a lot of Fuji news this week. Because Fuji uh, made a big announcement of major releases for them. Two new cameras, three new lenses. So we'll try and pop through each of one of these. Although some of these are some you know, very interesting stories. And the biggest one probably is that they have unveiled the GFX 100S. And this is a 102 megapixel. Megapixies. Me- medium format camera. Yes. It has five axis IVIS. And from everything I've read, it's better than the previous GFX 100. Yes. And it retails body only $6,000. Yeah, I mean, 
I watched the DP review of this, and uh, Chris and Jordan from DP Review did a fantastic job of reviewing this camera under uh, crazy circumstances. But the the interesting thing is, it's obviously a phenomenal stills camera. And a friend, uh, and, and my friend and listener of the show, Bombardier Scott Johnson, Scott Johnson, he uh, is a Fuji X Pro photographer in the UK. He's one of their ambassadors. And he has been posting photos and reviews, and it is apparently this is a phenomenal, phenomenal camera. I don't think, again, the main thing is going to be for working pros, the $6,000 price point is going to be painful. However, if you shoot in medium format space or have been aspiring to shoot in medium format space compared to the other medium digital medium format cameras out there in the industry, $6,000 is very affordable compared to your Mamiya's, your Hasselblad's, your Phase 1's. Like, this is well affordable. Yeah, it's like if somebody said, oh, you know, we're coming out with a new top-of-the-line Corvette, and it's only $50,000. You're like, $50,000 is expensive, but it's still way cheaper than the top-of-the-line Corvette has ever been. Right. So yeah. so it's affordable based on that, but it's still not very affordable based on what you can get in full frame or in crop sensor. I think it's wonderful. I'm glad, as always, that Fuji is doing this stuff, but I just don't think, I, I don't see that much of a, a practical use for it. Right. Yeah. Well, again, you know, you're going to, a hundred megapixel file size is just, to me, that's, I would love it if I'm making prints and doing personal work or landscapes right. or creating fine art or archival work and but I, maybe, it, I mean, it's obviously higher megapixel counts are going to become more normal. I mean, our megapixel count, you know, 18 years ago in, in the beginning of the digital revolution for professional photographers, you know, if you got a 12 megapixel camera, that was a big deal. Sure. And in the last 20 years, we've gone from 8, 10, and 12 megapixels to 40, 60, 80, 100 megapixels. And so, I mean, we're just going to have to deal with these larger file sizes so, I mean, people are always going to say, oh, well, that's too much file for me. Yeah, it probably is at the moment. But you wait until it's 100 megapixels is totally normal. Yeah, and it will become normal. Processors get faster in computers and memory storage becomes much cheaper. And it, 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 that's the way it always is. Right, Like, because right now my, my iMac that I'm working on has a two terabyte hard drive. The first computer that I bought when I moved to Gainesville to go to the University of Florida in 1999 had a 256 megabyte hard drive. <laughs> My first computer had a 60 megabyte hard drive, and that was big. Yeah, that was yeah. like, how am I ever going to use all this space? Yeah. And and two megs of RAM. <laughs> yeah, baby, blazing yeah. fast speeds. So what else is happening with Fuji? They got a lot going on. Yeah, they do. They also revealed uh, another new camera, the X-E4. I'm pretty excited about this we, one, It'll be the smallest ever X-series camera. Now, great camera. Looks like a great, great, great camera. Only $800. Takes all the X lenses. I want to predict why you don't like it. No, no, I'm not saying I don't like it at all. I, I, I love it. I think that, uh, I, you know, I would take a serious look at it. If I was looking to buy a camera today, if I already have my X100V and I was like, hmm, which one do I want? I would take a serious look. I took a serious look at its predecessor. When I was thinking about upgrading to the X100V, I was like, maybe I should instead get the, the uh, whatever the one was before this. I'm guessing it was the uh, XE3. The XE3. Uh, and, and there's a tiny part of me that kind of says, I, maybe if I had gotten the XE3, but now all these beautiful X-Trans lenses that I just bought would all go on the XE3, but you're never going to put those lenses on the XE3 because this camera body is about the size of a deck of cards or smaller. And you're not going to stick one of those giant lenses on it. It would just be stupid. I just watched a video comparing the XE4 and the X100V. 
And so I mean, essentially it's the same sensor. So it's got that X-T4, X-100V amazing sensor, the same autofocus, the same film simulations. It's got all the bells and whistles. It does 4K video at, at, uh, at 30 frames and 60 frames. It goes 1080p up to 240 frames per second. It is it's a phenomenal little camera. However, th- there are a couple of differences. Uh, one, it does have that those X-Trans lenses that you can use, which is an upgrade, I think, from the X100V. Well, yeah, the V the V doesn't have interchangeable lenses at all. Right, right. So if you buy the, uh, the X-E4 and you get the 35-millimeter lens, it's still less money than getting the X100V, which is pretty wild. Yeah. I think, well, I think if you wanted to get as close to the V as possible, you would buy the X-E4 and you would also buy the... 23 millimeter f2 right which is basically what you have on the 100v and that's 450 dollars. so all in you'd be all in for about 1300 1350 which is what you what it costs for the 100v but you also have the option to use if you're a fuji shooter you have the option to use those other lenses you could change you could change the lenses and 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 that's great and but here's the other good side of that is later when they come out with the xe5 you could just buy the body and you already have the lens so right. now when you it's you know another eight hundred dollars for your next body, whereas if you're going from the X hundred, you know, one hundred V to whatever's next, you gotta thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred, you gotta dish out the whole thing. You gotta buy the camera and the lens every time mm-hmm. you do that. Um but I you know, for me, I mean there's there's no flash in it, which is nope. you know, which is there's no flash. It doesn't have the built in uh, neutral density filter, it doesn't have the nope. optical uh, option, which I don't really use. Um it doesn't have anything to grip on it at all. No, it's completely flat. It is completely flat and smooth, just like my high school girlfriend. You can't grip it. <laughs> you can't grip your high school girlfriend? I'm going to be canceled just for that just for that joke right there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you can't grip it at all. It's, it's very much like a deck of cards that you stick a lens on. And um, I, I think it's great. And I think if, if you were only going to own one camera, that this might be the one you know, that you would want to get. The way it was described when I watched the video is the reviewer who is a Fuji professional photographer who shoots Fuji. He said that this is a great camera for people who are stepping up into a more professional camera and potentially want to move into that Fuji system and would make a terrific backup. If you move to something like an X-T4, it'll be a really good backup camera. The, yeah, right. it has. Well, it, listen, I mean, I'm, part of me is saying I could have waited and this I could have bought this as my backup instead of the X-T30. Does the X-T30 have any grip on it at all? Or yes. is it flat? Okay, yeah. so I think that's the main thing. You'd, you'd end up having to add to the size of the body to supplement it so you could hold it comfortably. Right. But I think that a lot of people will find this camera just right in the right price point, you know, that they'll find it in it. It's also going to make a really good... It has a, It doesn't have a fully articulated screen, but it does have a screen that flips up. So you can use it as a vlogging camera and get that feedback. It works with the Fuji Webcam 2 software. So it looks like a really solid option. That price point is great. The, it, but basically, what you're trading with a couple of... Uh, with with a couple of features on the X100V, there's a couple of different buttons, just a couple, and you're missing the grip. And when you when we say grip, it's really not, it's really not a grip. But it's not nothing. It's a difference between yeah. there's no grip and a little grip. I'll take a little grip. But if you buy, listen, if you buy the XE4 and you buy, by the way, Fuji just announced this week a brand new pancake lens. That's an f2.8 lens, 27 millimeter, which is 35 millimeter equivalent for 400 bucks. You ah. put this pancake lens on it, you got a tiny, tiny little nice shooter for street photography and stuff that like that. That gives you the same quality of images yeah. as the X-T4. Yeah, yeah, except it's a 2.8 lens, which I'm like, I think if you're going to go that route, you want to get 
uh, you want you want to get a 2.0 if you can. You want to get another if you style. got that smaller sensor for sure. They introduced that lens this week, which is only four hundred dollars. They also introduced uh, the uh, XF seventy to three hundred millimeter. This is variable four to five point six. Seventy to three hundred millimeter with the crop factor. You're talking about like a hundred to four fifty. Yeah, that's a that's a good that that makes a strong argument for sports and wildlife. Wow, a hundred to four fifty. I mean, even if you're shooting weddings, it's only eight hundred dollars. And you can stand in the parking lot and take a picture of the bride at the altar. What's the speed of the lens? Uh, it's uh, 4 to 5.6. Okay. So, it, uh, yeah. Okay. So, Canon makes some lenses along this line. Nikon does. It, this is sort of a uh, uh, entry-level telephoto as far yeah. as it's not fast, but it gives you that range if right. you don't have it. And that's a, that's a terrific price. And uh, they also announced a new lens for the medium formats. And it is the GF 80 millimeter. And it's f1.7, and they claim it is the fastest medium format lens you can buy. Wow. The fastest focusing or the no, fastest? No, fastest 1.7. Yeah. The widest yeah, well. at 1.7 on a medium format. And if you have a medium format camera, you got to go in the opposite direction. So if it's an 80 millimeter on a medium format camera, that's the equivalent of a 50 millimeter on a full frame. You have to go in the other way. <laughs> Your crop factor is reversed. Fuji is so good at staying in their lane. They really, they got their, their, their medium format stuff's rocking. Their, their APS-C stuff is rocking. But here's the other problem. It's medium format, right? So you got to buy, you know, that's the beauty of crop factor is that all the lenses you buy uh, for a crop factor, APS-C, are uh, shorter lenses because the crop factor takes them up. So instead of getting a 24 to 70, you get like an 18 to 55, and it's the equivalent of 24 to 70. Right. But 18 to 55 is cheaper. So you save money there. Well, it's the opposite with medium format. So this is the equivalent of a 50 millimeter lens and it's $2,300. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, so you're basically playing, paying $2,300 for an F1.7 50 mil and you can buy what? The nifty 50 for 100 bucks and it's what? 1.4 or yeah. 1.8? 1.8, yeah. 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 <laughs> so for 0.1, you're spending $2,300. And that's the other drawback of the medium format cameras. It's just so expensive. The camera's expensive. The lenses are expensive. I mean, you really got to want medium format, and you got to make some money on Robinhood. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, moving on into Canon news, Canon has released their full 2020 financials and beat expectations. It says Canon's imaging segment saw a 49% rise in its operating income. Uh, according to Canon rumors, what's more impressive, that sales in the segment were down 25% year over year, likely due to the pandemic and manufacturing challenges. So... Uh, and they're also predicting another 5% growth in that same sector in 2021. That sounds a little conservative to me, considering they're going to launch three new camera bodies and a, and a host of new lenses. But uh, just to keep up on those financial reports, it's nice to see a camera company reporting positive growth in sales. I like it. I, I love it. And uh, and those, are, those new R cameras are definitely driving, I think, Canon's renewed financial success. So if you had any stock in Canon... Uh, you might have might have done pretty good in the last few days after they released that news. Also, there's a footnote in here at the bottom of the article that says uh, Canon's also vested a significant amount of money into Dogecoin. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. How do you feel about Sony's new camera? What do you think about the Alpha One? Ooh, well, all right. So let me let me get down on this for our Sony people because we we don't show you guys enough love. First of all, you know, being a Canon shooter. You know, and and that I also do some work with Canon, and uh, you know, I I am definitely biased. But let me say, this camera looks awesome. Yeah, it looks pretty amazing. 
It's got a 50 megapixel sensor, blackout free continuous shooting up to 30 frames per second. Um, it's got a new stacked sensor, a totally new thing. It's got a 9.4 4 million dot OLED electronic viewfinder, uh, silent vibration free electronic shutter, uh, the world's first anti flicker shooting in both mechanical and electronic modes. And now here's a really cool thing. It has a the world's fastest mechanical shutter flash sync up to one four hundredth of a second. This is a really cool thing I think that they have engineered here because with the modern digital DSLRs, you're going from medium format cameras to cameras with uh, the, 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 what do you call them, the, the different kind of shutter, you would be able to sync your flash at incredibly high speeds. And now... Uh, a four hundred dollar base flash sync speed with the mechanical shutter is is going to be really cool to be able to play around with. That gives you basically an entire stop of extra latitude with your shutter in the studio, which I really like because if you're in a if you're in a situation shooting on location or something, and you're you know trying to use strobes, you'll have a little more latitude to be able to filter out ambient light. Oh, this is huge! This is huge if you're like a beach shooter. Yeah, on the beach you're constantly up against the I can't go over my flash sync speed. So I have to have a really bright flash, right? You know, and, or I and I can't shoot wide open, you know, because so I've got to right. sh- so I got to stop I got to stop uh, stop down, yeah, stop down. So I got to stop down, and maybe I don't want to. I don't want right. to stop down or use a neutral density filter or go into high speed sync, which sucks your flash power. Yeah. So to put this so so to put this into a better perspective, that an extra stop on your shutter flash sync speed is basically doubling the power of your flash. Yes. That's pretty great. Without going to high-speed sync, high-speed sync. You've just basically doubled the power of your flash. Your flash can now, because you can now raise your shutter speed, you can take another stop off your ambient light, and uh, your flash is going to be just as powerful as it was. So it's going to relatively look much brighter. Now, this is, this is pretty impressive. They, they've, they've matched Canon in terms of adding 8K into this camera for the first time in a Sony uh, interchangeable mirrorless camera. 8K 30P. Uh, at 10 bit 420. Oh, this is for the video people. I feel like I'm speaking a foreign language. Yes. Or with 8.6K oversampling for extraordinary detail and resolution, in addition to 4K 120, 10 bit 422 movie shooting capabilities. And they claim, we'll see, I'm sure we're going to start to see videos on this on YouTube anytime now, that uh, you can shoot up to 30 minutes at 8K with no overheating. So that's, that's, that's pretty impressive. 15 stops at dynamic range for stills and video. It's going to have an improved real-time eye autofocus, which is Sony's already got a great eye autofocus, so nice to see it'll improved. Five-axis image stabilization, um, and it's got, uh, you know, built-in Wi-Fi, super speed, USB, 10 gigabits per second, and 100 base T Ethernet. So basically, uh, shots fired. I feel like Sony was like, (laughs) I feel like Canon came out with the R5, and Sony was like, hold my beer. Right. Yeah. Now, of course, we got the Canon R1 set to come out uh, or be announced is in the second half of 2021. So we'll see what they come back with. I am not a Sony shooter. I don't love the... Oh, it's also supposed to have, by the way, the updated menu system from the A7S III, which will be a big improvement because the biggest complaint that a lot of people have about Sony when they get into it is that their menus are just a disaster. Uh, and, and although the A7S III menu isn't super perfect it's a lot better than what they were using and it looks like they're going to start to put that in all their cameras which i think is meeting one major objection people have with uh sony's cameras so this is an incredible piece of machinery there's 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 almost nothing you can say 
bad about it. It is going to be a little larger, a little heavier, uh, but this is a this is a serious serious camera, and this is going to be a big big get for Sony. Here's the here's the rub. Sixty five hundred dollars. Sixty five hundred dollars. <laughs> it is a, it is a camera that that meets every qualification that a professional photographer could possibly want in a camera. But the price point puts it out of the buying range for almost every professional photographer <laughs> I know. So I got a little bit of feedback from Bombardiers on the Facebook page uh, when I posted who's going to order one. And so we have a few comments. Let me pull those up. So uh, Evan Smedley says, for $6,500, I better be able to fit my whole hand on the camera. Hard pass. Uh, Steve Horwath says, I'm not it. Uh, Mario Lopez, not the Mario Lopez, says, can I pay with a kidney? Uh, there you go. And so we've, you know, we've got various GIF comments or GIF comments that, uh, that are hard to put into, uh, into this format, but let's just say the overall consensus so far is our listeners are like, sounds great. Can't, can't afford it. Yeah. Too expensive. Too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm sure that it'll probably go down in price over time. So the fact that this camera will be out there and in five or six months, the price is going to go down or there'll be a robust used market for it. And at maybe after about a year, this incredible camera will also be in the affordability range used. And, and I have no problem buying refurbished or used camera equipment, especially if it comes refurbished from the manufacturer or from a place that will give you a solid warranty on it. So, you know, it, it it's not going to be something that people are going to be able to run out and buy. When the, when the R5 came out, people were like, $4,000? you got to be kidding me. And so this camera is going to come out at 6500 and if you are a Canon user and you're thinking about moving to mirrorless and you're thinking about do I go with the R system do I or do I move to Sony this would be the best camera Sony has maybe ever put out in this category maybe ever and you're going to have to really consider that that price point is 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 prohibitive um that being said I think that the R5 at $2,500 for a few uh, a few upgrades and specs, and the R1 is coming out. I think I'll stick with Canon for now. But uh, I love that this camera is out. It has raised the stakes. It has, it has upped the game, and everyone who wants to stay in the camera business is going to have to answer this. And, that, and so kudos to Sony, uh, because now I know that Canon's going to have to really even put in more effort to put out even better cameras to keep up with you. So I love this. I love competition in the industry. It makes everybody better. And, and I think, here's my prediction, for 2021, latter half of 2021, I think Nikon is going to put out a new flagship to challenge this. You think so? And I think it'll come in at $1,000 less. Okay. Okay. You heard it here. All right. Mark, mark that. You think they'll come out with something that's compatible up in that range, and it'll be a thousand dollars less? I, I think a, they'd be smart to do that, but I don't. Uh, I say smart to do it. And I, I know I don't think they'd be smart to do it because I still think that the market size would be so small for them at that price point that that that's not what Nikon needs to come out with something that everybody in the world buys it because I, they can't believe it's so cheap and so good. Well, they have the Z5, which is a great full frame entry level camera. They have the Z7 II, Z6 II, which are both great cameras. They, neither Nikon or Canon has released a mirrorless version of their flagship. So the single single number series from Nikon D4, D5, there has not or uh, have not come out, and and Canon has not put out a one series camera in the mirrorless space. So we're going to see Canon and Nikon in 2021 are both going to have to answer this. And how this goes, whether Sony is going to control the market share and be the more popular camera brand in this category. 
is going to depend on what Nikon and Canon answer with. Right now, Canon and Nikon have been playing catch up with Sony in the mirrorless world for a while. And that gap has been consistently closing and consistently closing. Sony just kicked the ball down the field a little further. And now we're going to see, are Canon and Nikon going to continue to close that gap or is it going to widen? And I'm going to guess that both Canon and Nikon are going to have a serious answer for this in 2021. I want to talk about what's happening in Tennessee with this bill that they are proposing. I think this is a great thing to talk about. Yeah, this is I this is one of those okay. So they're proposing a bill in Tennessee to make offensive, non-consensual photos illegal. And what they're talking about specifically is if you are in a public place, you're standing at a gas station, you're in a Walmart, you have no reasonable expectation of privacy, and so you can do nothing to stop anyone taking your picture. What they want to do is change that, and they want to say that if you are taking a picture of someone for sexual purposes, or if the person would be offended by the photo, if they would be embarrassed by the photo, then the photo would be illegal. They say you can't be taking the photo for the purpose of sexual gratification or arousal. So you like big butts, and you cannot lie. And uh, none of those other brothers can deny it. They cannot, they cannot be denied by the mm-hmm. other brothers. No. And so you are out on the street and you're taking pictures of the women's behinds or men's behinds, perhaps. Whatever floats your boat, man. That's right. Transsexual people's behinds. Whatever, whatever works for you, we don't judge. No, no. Basically, you're a butt guy. Is this, this would be possibly in violation of the law if it were for sexual gratification. There are so many problems with this. First of all, How do you regulate thought? How do you regulate thought? How do you regulate intent? How do you define sexual gratification? And and also even putting the word embarrass. Listen, I'm embarrassed by 99% of every photograph ever taken of me. There it is. (laughs) So so that means every picture you've ever taken of me. Did you see some of the stuff that was put on Instagram when I was live for for, uh, for Imaging USA? Basically, any photo that shows my midsection embarrasses me. Get off the dang uh, Instagram. Hey, listen, so can I now come after them for, I mean, it's just so crazy. There's no way. They're going to get this law passed. And if they do, there's no way it's going to survive a constitutional challenge. I would not put it past Tennessee and the Tennessee state legislature to pass this law. This law could absolutely and will likely pass. It's, a, it's got a lot of Republican support and the Tennessee legislature is very conservative. And this is one of these sort of like clutch your pearls, heavens to Betsy things that's easy to defend with sound bites in the media. But the bottom line is that no court will uphold this. No. And, and we, saw cannot, you taking, we saw you taking pictures of women's boobs. No, I was taking pictures of their shirts. I like shirts. Exactly. You cannot regulate thought. You can't, and if you try to regulate thought, it can't hold up in court. My prediction is that it will pass uh, and, and that it will be pretty much immediately struck down by, some, by, by, a, by a judge. Like yeah. that's, it's going to be paused, struck down. It's going to have to go to all different kinds of appeal, appeals process because, like you said— what if it's like, well, I don't get sexual gratification from taking pictures of dudes' dongs. I am doing a gallery exhibit where I'm trying to show the uniqueness of the male genitalia. It is, it is very clinical. And so I, I'm getting my, my, my D-pics out there in the wild, and then I'm going to print them as 60-inch canvas. Is this, is, this what, is this what you told your wife when she discovered the phone's pictures? Look, it was a friend. It wasn't me. This saying. happened to a this friend. A story you, is this a story you gave Julie when she, when she picked up your phone by accident and asked you what all the pictures were about? 
Yeah. Oh, ha- by the way, that's something that happens a lot now. With I've gotten people come into the studio, they show me pictures on their phones, examples of kind of what they're looking for from their headshots right. and business portraits. And very often, if you're looking at someone and they have to go through a few images to get to it, very often you see something that you shouldn't. So just as if they were taking their pants down or changing their yes. shirt, I just casually look away. Can I sue for that? That's what I want to know. Can I sue for having to see that? Exactly. All right. One more story. Also, right, also legal. Uh, and this happened in D.C. federal court uh, when a lawsuit came forward and the judge said, mm, yeah, OK, you get a point there. Apparently, if you want to uh, video in a in a uh, national park, right, the rule is you don't have to have a permit unless you are doing it for commercial purposes. So if you're taking video of your friends on vacation or if you're taking video for news, that's exempt as well. That's fine. But if you were shooting a movie, well, you have to have a permit. And this seems perfectly reasonable. We're talking about national parks. Well, a judge has struck this down on First Amendment grounds. Uh, he ha- it, he, they say it's what's called a content-based prior restraint. I don't know what that means. Uh, a content-based prior restraint is the same restraint that you put on free speech when you say you can make movies all you want, but you can't make an X-rated movie. You're saying that you have free speech until you make content that we don't like, in which case you can't do it. And that's been struck down by the Supreme Court repeatedly. You cannot restrict free speech based on the content of that free speech. You can't, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. That's the famous you know, line that came out of the case. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, but you can't restrict me from doing any kind of art I want to as long as it does not actually harm people in some way. Right. And they say that that's what this is. They say that uh, making a movie is a First Amendment guarantee of free speech. You have a right to make a movie. And I think that the park could say no filming in the park without a permit or no filming at all. But what they can't say is you can't do this type of filming without a permit. See what I'm saying? Mm, yes. Now, I th- I, I'm sure they can say you can't bring in three semi-trucks full of gear without a permit. Mm. But if you were a guy who was making a movie and you were just trying to film some shots for the movie in a natural park, uh, a national park, and you were just using an R5 to do it, then you don't have to you don't have to have a permit for that any more than the guy standing next to you filming it with a cell phone. Right. That's what they're saying. That's what the new ruling says. Hmm. Well, I you know, again, I'm sure this will go up and up and and, and be seen by a few more judges before it's all done. But. I I tend to be, when it comes to natural beauty, natural resources, especially here in the United States where we live, I, I feel like that there should be some rules. They should have the ability to restrict yeah. who comes on. But you they, can't they should, say but that, I, you, I, don't you think it should be restricted more on the equipment, on the damage you can do? Right. Yeah. Well, they should either, everyone has to get a permit or no one has to get a permit. Right. And, uh, and, and those, both of those things would be legal. Yeah. Now, uh, what, you could, what you could do is say... You know, I'll put a weight limit on vehicles and you could put a areas where you can't go because you don't you can't disturb the natural wildlife. Or you can do like like you'll see like downtown uh, in Tampa, for example, in Ybor City. You can take pictures all you want to. But if you have a light stand, you can't do that. Right. Disney's kind of the same way. They'll let you shoot whatever you want, but you bring in too much gear and, and the Disney right. cops will lock you up. So I, th- I think that that's interesting. I, I think what it is, is it's an, oh, it's an old law. You know what I mean? It's a law back when commercial filming in a national park meant that you would bring in a giant, you know, giant camera and a tripod. You were doing all of that stuff. And they right. didn't want they didn't want film crews setting up in the national park. 
Well, it was. It's not like filming Revenant with Leo DiCaprio. Yes. We went out there with a handy cam and and uh, and and was mauled by a bear. Yeah, like the you know, the entire movie filmed with natural light. The entire yeah. movie filmed with natural. That movie's amazing just for that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, I got one more quick hit before we sign off, just to follow up on a story from last week about the the guy who flew his drone into a police helicopter. And uh, this is, uh, so basically, we talked about it is very possible. This is the very first criminal conviction for unsafe operation of an unmanned aircraft in the United States. It's the first time someone will be convicted of these criminal charges. And so, again, uh, my prediction was they'll throw the book at him. However... What's happened is he has pled guilty. Andrew Renee Hernandez, 22 years old, of course he's 22 years old, um, of Hollywood, pleaded guilty to the single count in a plea agreement, according to courts. He flew the drone just after midnight, a big no-no, on September 18th because he was curious after hearing a police helicopter and sirens, according to documents. So he guessed right on that. Now, the police helicopter with two officers inside was flying after a reported burglary at a nearby pharmacy. Etc. 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 So basically, what happens is Hernandez faces up to a year in prison when he is sentenced April twelfth. So that's uh, that's going to be coming up. But a plea agreement says that prosecutors will recommend reductions in federal sentencing. So more than likely, he'll get a fine and probation. However, this is all going to depend on the judge. The judge gets to say th- what the sentence is. The prosecutors only get to recommend what they think. They'll be like, "Hey, well, you know, he saved the courts a lot of time." Didn't make a media spectacle of it. You know, that's this how plea agreements yeah. work. I, I'm, I, hmm. The judge could put him in prison for a year. I'm a lenient guy, but you hit a helicopter. A police helicopter at night over a crime scene. There has to be, I don't know, you know, jail time. I, I, you know, I don't know. This is why I'm not a judge. Is I don't know what is appropriate because there's the part of you that goes, you hit a helicopter, you need to go under the jail. And then there's the other part that goes, you're a 22 guy with a 22 year old guy with a drone and drones are new and, and, and you people do stupid things, you know? There are a lot of factors. Does he have a prior record of any kind? You know, that sort of thing. Does he show remorse? But there's the other factor. This is the first time anybody will have ever been prosecuted for a drone related criminal offense in the United States. And does this judge need to set a precedent that this will not be tolerated? Is this going to say, by the way, not only are you going to be able to lose your financial stability because we could fine you an incredible amount of money, we're going to put this person in prison to deter other people from doing it. Now, I think there's plenty of data to show that uh, mandatory minimum sentencing and all those kinds of things do not deter crime. I think we know that based on data, that the severity of the punishment doesn't change the crime. Motivations don't really work like that. And you have to take into account that this is not a guy who is setting out to commit a crime when it happened. Right. Not the same as as a guy who breaks into a jewelry store. You know, he was just, I'm going to fly my drone over and see what's going on. Uh, you know? Right. That's what they call mens rea, the criminal mind. The criminal mind. The criminal mind. The criminal mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I've got for today. Are we wrapping it up? Yeah, I think so. All right, let's wrap it up. Photobomb is written and produced by Bure Perry and Gary Hughes, and our editor is Danielle Munoz. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Podcast or our website, photobombpodcast.com. Gary's website is HughesFioretti.com. Yes, it is. And mine is BureyPerry.com, and you can email us questions at photobombpodcast.com. We'll see you back here next week. See you later. <laughs>